As we remain standing this morning, Christopher Peter is going to bring God's word. Shall we sit in the presence of God with a prayerful attitude? Hallelujah. Praise God. Shall we bow our heads in prayer? Father, Lord, I come before your presence, Lord, as a feeble man, but I pray that you will speak through your servant, that you will use that you will use us for your glory, Father, that you would speak through us, Father. I pray right now that the hearts of your people may be opened and that it will be a good soil, that your word will come forth, O oh Lord, as a good seed going into a good heart, a good soil and bearing fruit. Thank you for doing this. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. You may be seated. Praise God. Maybe I should... probably going to start walking around, so might as well use this mic. This morning, I want to speak to you from the Word of God about being chosen. Amen. You can look to your neighbor, maybe to the left, to the right, the front, the back, everywhere around you, you can tell them you're chosen. You're chosen. There is no question or doubt about it. You are chosen. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I would play basketball. I would be the last one to be chosen. I wasn't that great. I, I stopped coming to Sunday night basketball because I was not that great. But they asked me to keep coming. But still, sometimes in life, we feel like sometimes we're overlooked, that we're not picked. But in the house of God and in God's eyes, all of us are chosen. And similarly, the people of Israel were a chosen people of God. We read in the word of God that God speaking to them as a chosen people said, I have chosen you and I have promised that I will bring you into a promised land. A land flowing with milk and honey where there's the Jebusites, Hizzites, Perzites, every type of Iite. Everybody was there. Have you ever thought and questioned and looked at the reason why? Why did God decide and says in this verse, I will take you from Egypt? Why did God decide to take them from Egypt? I mean, God has been doing all the plagues. God can do all the plagues and more. Why not just settle down in Egypt? They got, they got the Nile River they got all the wonderful libraries. It was, a, it was at the pinnacle of society. Why not just stay in Egypt? I mean, God already killed all the firstborn of the Egyptians. It's not too much for God to replace them and make the Israelites there. But when we study the society and the land and the layout of the land, we can see God did not want to keep them in Egypt. God wanted to take them to a better land, a better place. Not because they had only milk and honey. God can cause milk and honey to run through Egypt. He turned the river to blood. But he wanted to take them and put them in the center of the world. When we study Canaan, Canaan was a land that was full of city-states. One over here, one over there, another one over here. So many separate, separate people groups all living in their own societies. City-states. That's why we read they went from city-state to city-state conquering and conquering. 
Canaan was full of this. The reason why God had chosen to take them from Egypt and to bring them into the promised land was so that all of the nations would see and hear about a God who lives in the midst of them. It was not only, oh, I want to put you in this land full of milk and honey. I want to bless you. I want to make you a doctor. I want to make you an engineer. I want to make you a, a mighty person. I want to make you rich. This wasn't the ultimate plan of God. Similarly, looking at your life and my life, most of us are all immigrants, maybe from Pakistan, maybe from Korea, maybe from wherever. God brought you here. And you may think in your mind, God brought me here because he had promised my forefathers. It's because God, God is blessing my forefathers. Yes, it's true. God is blessing your forefathers. It's true. He is. But it's much, much more than that. It is because he wants to put you in the center of the world. It is because he wants all of the nations to look upon you and to see something in you. When he called the people, he told them, the prophet Isaiah is speaking to them, and he's telling the people of Israel, God has chosen you and made you a light in this world. He has surrounded you by all the nations, and all of the nations see a God in your midst. He has chosen you to be a light. He did not promise only to bring you into a promised land. He promised that all the nations will be blessed because of you. This is the plan of God. Not simply to give you some milk and honey and give you a nice house. Not simply to make you a doctor or a president or whatever you want to be. There is a greater purpose and it is this, that you may be the light. But what happened with the people of Israel and what happens with most churches? There's usually two things. Let's look in history. Ezra chapter 10 verse 19. I'll read it for you. They gave all their hands in pledge to put away all their wives. For their, for their guilt, they each presented a ram from the flock as a guilt offering. All right, we're done reading, so you can look back at me now. I know it's a nice picture. Here, what is happening is Ezra and the people were exiled. And some of them had come back to the land. And when they came back to the land, it was dominated by other nations and other peoples. And what the people of Israel began to do was begin to marry women of other nations. And Ezra called all the people together and he said, remove your wives from among you. Can you believe that? Ezra, a prophet of God, these people have families. And he's telling them, remove your wives from among you. Why do you think that is? Does that make sense? I mean, other people had foreign wives, right? Am I right, Esther? Not, I mean, uh, Rahab? Many of the great lineages, even the lineage of King David comes from a, a woman who was from another nation. It was not because God did not mind them marrying other women. It was because they had been so dominated and overwhelmed that their nation was completely submerged by all the other nations that they were no longer influencing the nations, but the nations were influencing them and they were becoming wiped out as a people. 
if you count in Ezra chapter 10, there's 111 priests. And they all have foreign wives. All of them. This is the priestly community. The community that teaches the people how to follow and walk in the ways of God. But all of them have foreign wives who have foreign gods. The people of Israel were nullified, powerless, rendered impotent. Only because of one reason. The reason was they were no longer influencing, but rather were becoming influenced. Doesn't, doesn't this sound a little bit familiar? A lot of time in churches, it changes. We want to reach the world so badly that we are no longer the church. We become the world. I was once watching a message on TV. I was so surprised. The pastor had a, a, a ring on the pulpit, on the pulpit, and he was boxing. And then a, a, a lady in a bikini came out. And I was thinking, oh, my God, what's happening? It's, I mean, he was trying to portray a message. But I'm trying to give you an example. Sometimes the church is being so overwhelmed by the world that it's no longer being the church but becoming the world. It is no longer giving a message but receiving a message. This is what happens. This is the first extreme. But there's another extreme that sometimes we as people fall into. The second extreme is, is what happened with Jonah. God has spoken to Jonah or the people of Israel, what essentially happened to the whole group of people of Israel. Jonah was called by God, and God told Jonah, go to Nineveh. But where did he go? Or is it the other way around? Was he supposed to go to Tarshish and go to Nineveh? Are you guys sure? He was supposed to go to Nineveh, but he went to Tarshish. Why? He didn't want to go to the pastor said he didn't want to go to Nineveh. Is that the whole story? I don't want to go. That's why I'm not going. I mean, he, if you read about Jonah, Jonah is in the book of the Kings and in the Chronicles. Jonah was a prophet, a royal prophet. He was in the court of the king. He's a man of God. It's not like one story about Jonah. He only got four chapters in his whole life. No. He's actually a man of God who serves in the king's palace. He gives prophecies to the king. I don't think he has a hard time going to another country. The problem with Jonah was the fact that the Ninevites were a people who were oppressing, persecuting the Israelites. They were taking the Israelites and maybe even cutting them in half, sawing them in half. The people of Nineveh were attacking the Israelites. They were their enemies. And Jonah is looking in his own heart. God is speaking to him and said, go to the Ninevites. I want to save them. Jonah even goes so far as to say, I know if I prophesy and they repent, you will have compassion upon them. Jonah doesn't want them to be saved. Jonah doesn't want to save his enemies. Jonah doesn't want to help his enemies. These are the people that are attacking my people. And you want me to go and help them? This is the reason why Jonah didn't want to go. The Israelites were God's people. And even the people who were persecuting the Israelites, God had a heart for them. This is the polar opposite of the first point. The first point, our doors are open and anything and everything coming into the church. 
The other side is our doors are so closed, we can't even help the people who are about to die. Amen. Amen. If you're sleeping, I'm going to wake you up this morning. I'm a different type of person. I'm not going to ask you to stand up, though. Last time that didn't work. This is the problem in our churches sometimes. We can't find a balance of how to be what we're supposed to be. I've been to so many churches. To be honest, I never, like when I was leaving, some people had told me, well, you going to a Mayali church? I said, I, I, I'm going to a church. I didn't know there was a Mayali church. And a lot of people think of our church as a Mayali church, IPA. Honestly, I don't feel like that. I feel like anybody and everybody can come into the house of God. There's no Malayali house of God. There's only a house of God. Amen. Otherwise, that's just a Malayali house. Right? God has a plan for us. Amen. We are meant to save people. We are meant to help them. We are meant to be a deliverance for them. But we are so, so stuck in one side or the other. Either we want to be too holy or we're not holy at all and we have no testimony. You know, I think about, about the people who live in the city. How many of them can be saved? Before I left from the city, one of my best friends, he died. He had a heroin overdose and he died. I used to walk home with him every single day. And, and I thought, is there any way I can reach him, you know? We, as the people of God, are made with a purpose. Amen. You know why the Israelites were rejected, kicked out, exiled, no longer even wanted by God? God wants them, but God had removed them. He cut them off. That's what Paul writes, right? It's because of pride. It's because when they were looking, they had only three objectives. The Messiah will come. He will kick out all of the foreign people. He will make us the greatest people. He will make us the greatest nation. We will be an empire that rules the whole world. And the Messiah will be our king. This was the whole goal of the Israelites. They thought when Jesus came, he will be king. Kick out all the other foreign countries. Make them the greatest country on the world. And everybody is going to be their slave. This is why God rejected Israel. They had pride. They no longer serve the purpose of God to be a light to the nations. But when Isaiah spoke, only the people of Israel was there. Now when we look in Acts, chapter 13 verse 47, it says, For, for so God commanded us, saying, I have made you the light now. In the beginning... The first time when this was uttered, it was in Isaiah. But now, it is being quoted again. It is being said to the church. But I want to show you something from history. Look at your own lives. You were exactly like the people of Israel. Maybe you lived in a small town, in a small house with only two rooms. But now you have a big house. And you think that God wanted to bless you and give you a big house. What, you couldn't have a big house in India? or Kerala, or China, or Africa. God can give you a big house there. God can make you a doctor there. God can give you a good school there. No. The purpose of God was to make you a light. 
to show you and to shine you in the midst of the people. But there is something different about us. What do you think is different about us? It's our God. There's nothing else that makes us super special. We're not smarter than most people. We're normal. People say Indians are smarter. But it's God. It is God. So the next point I want to illustrate to you is about our God being so unique. Here, if I can read for you, since you can get on the... Bel and Nebo, the gods of the Babylonians, bow as they are lowered to the ground. They are being hauled away on ox cart. They are poor beasts staggering under weight. Both the idols and their owners are bowed down. The gods cannot protect the people, and the people cannot protect the gods. They go off into captivity together. Here, God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and he's speaking about all the other gods of all the other nations. And he is saying to them, all of your gods, you have to pick them up and you have to carry them around. You need to have animals walk around with your, anim with your gods. You need to bow down before your gods. You need to protect them, keep them safe. You need to watch over your gods. Now let me go two slides forward and I'll come back. I want to ask you, uh, what do you see? This, this is red, okay. What do you see here? Anybody can shout it out, help me out. Arabs? Uh, Muslims, right? Uh, all right, I'm going to go with Muslims. I was trying to go for a picture of Muslims, Arab shakes. What do you see here? Hindus. What do you see on the right? Sikhs. If you look at every other religion in the world, they all have some confinement. Muslims have to go to Mecca for Hajj. They say that is the holy place. Muslims, if they want to read the word of God, they need to learn Arabic to really have the word of God. Muslims, when they wear, if you're going on Hajj, you need to wear a linen cloth with no stitching, I believe. A linen white cloth. They have a dress. They have a dress code. Hindus, similarly, they have their holy places and holy text, which is in Sanskrit. They have a holy dress code. They have to wear saffron. They have to dress like this. Sikhs, similarly, they have their gurudwaras. They have their text, which are written in their language. They have their dress codes. They have the miri and the piri, their swords. What do you think is completely different about us and them after mentioning everything that I have mentioned? They have a holy place. They have a holy text, a holy language, and they have a holy dress code. If you look in our religion, is completely different. Our faith is completely different. If you look throughout the growth of Christianity, the history of Christianity, you can realize and see one thing. Something that started in Jerusalem in the Aramaic language has reached all the way to America and now reaching Africa and the Spanish countries. And there is no language that can confine it. There is no dress code that holds it down. There is no holy place that you have to go to. This is called the translatability of the Christian religion. The fact that our God in the book of Philippians chapter 2 verses 6 and 7 says, I have taken a human form that I will be in the midst of you that you may hear and know me in your own way. 
We're not meant to be confined. But the Christian religion, our Christianity, our faith. For the Greeks, it will be, I will be a Greek. For the Jew, I will be a Jew. For the fool, I will be a fool. For the wise, I will be a wise. Exactly what Paul says. We need to learn to humble ourselves. To reach out to people in a way that they understand. In the way that they can perceive and receive in their hearts. Only for one reason. That they may be saved. Amen. That they may come to the house of God. And experience the presence of God. Hallelujah. Amen. In the book of Exodus. It says. Is there any other nation like our nation. So as to have a God. In their midst. But I want to bring you to another passage. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 46, verse 3 and 4. No ear has heard, no eye has perceived a God like our God. What's different about our God? When all the other gods in this world, you have to bow down to serve them. You have to pick them up and carry them around. You have to wash them. You have to venerate them. You have to give things to them. You have to sacrifice your children. You have to sacrifice this. You have to give money for that. In Hinduism, there was a time that sacrifice was required for everything. That is where Buddhism comes out of. Oppressive structure. But when we look at our God, when they're carrying away their gods, our God says to us, I am the one who carried you in your mother's womb, and I will carry you to your old age. I am the one who keeps you. Look at the nations. Look at the people. They carry their gods, but I am a God who comes down to carry you. This is what the people need. We have such a great God in our midst. God has called us. God has chosen us for one particular reason. That we'll be a light in this world. That we will serve just as our God is serving us. This morning, let me ask you, let me tell you actually, it's not hard for God to reject us. The word of God says, do not think that the, that the chosen people who were rejected and you as the grafted people were chosen and grafted in, it is that you are above being rejected. There is only one purpose that God has chosen us as a people. There's only one reason IPA exists in Hicksville. It's to be a witness. It's so that people will be saved. So that they will know our God and that they will experience salvation. But what does it take? It doesn't take a lot. There was a man who lived in Australia. He was an old man. And one day he heard a message from the pulpit and he was brokenhearted and he submitted his life to God to serve God. But he looked to God and he told God, God, I'm at my old age. My strength is gone. My vigor is gone. My ability, everything is gone. No one will even listen to me. But I will make a commitment. Every day I will pick up ten tracks. I will pray over them. And with all my heart I will give it to ten people. This is a true story, not made up. If you go on YouTube, you can watch it. The man on Straight Street in Australia. 
And what he would do was he would go to Straight Street in Australia where the naval ship was and he would give these 10 tracts to 10 people. And then he would go back home, he would pray, and the next day he would pray again, God, I have little strength. And every day he kept doing this, just 10 tracts. After some time, there was a great convention that was going on. And the stage was full of pastors and preachers. One pastor, so they couldn't give everybody time to speak, but they said, you can give your testimony. They stood up on stage and they began to say, I was once a sailor here and I worked in the naval shipyard. There was an old man one day, he came and gave me a tract. And he said, God loves you. And he walked away. Is all he said. Today I'm a minister of God because of that old man. He sat down. The next minister of God stood up and he began to give his testimony and say, there was a man here who lived in, who, who was walking in Straight Street, an old man. He came to me, gave me a tract, and he said, God loves you. And he, he sat down. The next pastor got up, said the same thing. Next pastor got up, said the same thing. We think that the small acts that we do don't have much meaning. But even just taking 10 tracts, praying over it, doing it with all your heart can bring many people to salvation. I don't know if you know the story of Rebbe Zacharias. After this, I'm going to sit down. I don't know if you know the story of Rebbe Zacharias. Rebbe Zacharias, at the age of 17 or 18, I believe, he wanted to commit suicide and, and uh, attempt to commit suicide. He ended up in the hospital. When he ended up in the hospital, a man came to him and I believe gave him a Gideon's Bible, I think. He's not here. But he gave him a Gideon's Bible and he told him, uh, one verse from the book of John that says, because I live, you too shall live. After that, he walked away. This verse brought Rabbi Zacharias to the faith. Rabbi Zacharias is a famous apologist speaking in Harvard, Yale, Ivy League schools, going around all the countries in the world, even host uh, um, you know, hostile nations and speaking to leaders. When this man was about to die that brought Rebbe Zacharias to Jesus Christ, he called Rebbe and told Rebbe, Rebbe, I think I came into this world just to bring you to Jesus Christ. Just to tell you that one verse, that because Christ lived, you also are going to live. The only reason that I came here was just so that you may come to faith. We are like the people of Israel. We are chosen. Chosen for what? To have a good job? Have money? Nice car? Money for our children's children? Is that the reason? It's good to have money and look pretty and handsome. I like looking handsome, right? But that's not it. God rejected the people of Israel because two reasons. First, they were too open. Then they were completely closed. What are we this morning? Are we too open, too closed, or are we right in the middle? We're not too holy, but we're not completely sinful. God has chosen us with a purpose. The reason why you might be alive today might just be for that one person who changes the whole world to bring them to Jesus Christ. But I want to ask you, can you make a commitment to say, I will be the light I will be what God has called me and chosen me to be. Think about who you would have been if your parents never came here. You would have just been in India or wherever you were. 
But God brought you to America, not because America had milk and honey, but because America had all the nations in the world so that you may speak to them, so that you may talk to them, so that they may know a God who is there to love them and to serve them. This morning, I want you, if you want to make a commitment to serve God in one way or another, I know that you guys, are, uh, that I IPA is going to do the Saturate Hicksville or Long Island. If you want to make a commitment, God, I will choose one way or another I want to serve you. I want to do something for you. It doesn't matter. You have served me all. You have given me everything. God, I want to serve you. If that's you this, night, uh, this morning, I want you to just ask if everyone will just close their eyes as we pray. If that's you, I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But I will ask you, can you place your right hand on your heart? If you make a decision, God, I want to serve you. God, one way or another, I want to bring others to Christ. I want them to experience the love of God. I want them to, Lord, enter into your kingdom. I want their name to be written in the book of life. God, I want to be your instrument. If that's you, if you say, God, I will be your church. I will be the true church of God. I want you to place your hand on your, on your heart and pray with me. Father, we come to your presence. We look to you and we confess. We are weak and feeble people. Our wisdom is not the greatest. Nothing in us is, is the most amazing thing, Father. But what we have is you, and you are the greatest thing in our life. This morning, Lord, we, we submit our life before your presence. We humble ourselves that we may be an instrument used to serve your people, used to serve and to save the lost. I pray for every person who has placed their, their hand upon their chest, upon their heart. Lord, that you will use them for your glory. Whether the big, the small, the little, whatever it may be. Lord, that you will use them for your glory. To bring many to Christ. To save them from eternal hellfire. As your word tells us, one has sown, another has watered. But it is you who makes it to grow. I pray all of the work that they do for your kingdom. That you will cause it to grow and to bear fruit. I thank you for doing this in the name of Jesus Christ. May God bless you.